when you you know fly there are more than 40 different disparate organizations in the process you talk about frictionless that's not even close my mission in life how do we help bring those things together to create that shared vision what's the greatest challenge you think that that you face today trust hey there this is ben thanks for tuning in to lead the team Before we jump in, we just broke into the top 2% of all podcasts globally, and that's largely due to the support of listeners just like you. I invite you to subscribe so you're notified when we release a new episode and also leave a quick review. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hey there, Lead the Team Nation. Welcome back for another great episode. Today, I have for you Sherry Stein, who is the CTO Americas over at CETA. Now, you may be wondering and asking yourself, what or who is CETA? And CETA is the provider for the airport industry, delivering solutions for airlines, airports, aircraft, and governments. And they work with more than 1,000 airports while delivering the promise of the connected air, airport to more than 400 airlines on 17,000 aircraft globally. And they've been around since 1949, and they service in some form or fashion 95% of the world's airports. So if you're a traveler, if you've taken a flight, the odds are significant that you have benefited from their technology. Now back to Sherry. Sherry has more than 30 years working in aviation technology with a mission in life to create a, the the seamless travel experience. I mean, don't we all want that? And Sherry's an avid traveler herself, which is convenient working in this organization where she's, where you're going to hear from her today in Spain. And she's recently relocated though, to St. Petersburg, Florida, and a mother of three kids, three dogs, and now a new grandson. Sherry, welcome to lead the team. Thanks, Ben. Great to be here. Thanks. And How's yeah, your look for that uh, CETA sticker on the equipment when you're walking through the airport. Okay. All right. Look for the CETA sticker when you're working, walking to the airport. I love episodes like this because uh, you know, our leaders do travel a lot. Our listeners travel. And I love taking something that we all do, but maybe we don't really appreciate what's really going on when we're doing that. What have the advancements been? And also where are things going? And having leaders like you from this part of the industry, I think is is, is a fantastic idea. So let's let's go back to the thing that immediately caught my eye is your mission in life is all about the seamless travel experience. I want a seamless travel experience. What is it? Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that's the uh, the nut to the crack, right? Is when you you know fly, there are more than forty different disparate organizations in the process. A lot of it's paper, right? The paper boarding pass, the paper bag tag, the paper passport, and then each of those are checked by different people. The airline checks it at check in to make sure you are who you say you are check it again, bag drop, check it again at security, 
check it again, getting on the plane, check it again to go in the lounge, right? You talk about frictionless, that's not even close. Mm -hmm. And so I guess my mission in life when I joined CETA in 2015 was looking at how do we help bring those things together to create that shared vision and the art of the possible to help you know, digitize that process and to help support the sharing of information between stakeholders so that we could make that uh, a little less cumbersome. So uh, so that's been what I've been working on. Such an important thing to do because, it, and it's not easy because I suspect the, the yeah, yeah, you have different parties involved. And so a lot of our leaders work with multiple stakeholders in their companies and outside, but you have, you have regulatory stuff, right? With uh, safety and compliance. Then you have the commercial side, which are these, uh, which the actual uh, uh, aircraft companies. And then you have more of an infrastructure type base, which is all based, I guess, in the, in the whole air, the actual people that own in the city uh, municipalities that own the airports. And you're in the technology. Yep, that's right, exactly. You're, you're, you're trying to bring everything together. What's the, what's the greatest challenge you think that, that you face today? Among all that, the biggest thing has been trust, right, is how to do it in a way that they can still meet their obligations and know that, you know, any information they exchange is not is still with meets allows them to meet their purpose doesn't breach some security or privacy regulation um, and is going to be well received by the passenger or the traveler and so that was kind of where we started the the first kind of big project was in 2017 um, U.S. Customs and Border Protection was trying to figure out how to meet its mandate for U.S. biometric exit they have a law that's been on the book since 9-11, that it's their job to screen all passengers leaving the United States. But they didn't have a way to do it because we don't have like an exit program here. We don't have um, border control like a lot of other countries. And so we sat down with them and with one of our airline partners and one of our airport partners and said, wouldn't it be cool if we could send you a picture and you could give us the okay that that picture is related to one of these travelers, and then we could let them board the aircraft. And so that's what we did. You know, when you have kind of the coalition of the willing and the ability to create a shared vision, get all the right people in a room together, within like three months, we had a process in place that was your face is your boarding pass. So now, you know, you can walk up to the gate with a cheeseburger in one hand and your Diet Coke in the other and, you know, not have to put anything down, not have to fumble for your boarding pass. And boom, you walk on the plane and, you know, 80 percent of the passengers love it. Right. And so it makes the whole process seamless, frictionless. And so now we're looking at, OK, we've created the aha moment to become the de facto standard for the industry. Now, how does that scale? How do we bring that beyond just boarding to check-in, to bag drop, to, you know, the rest of the processes and how we integrate those all together? So in that moment, like you, I love the first thing you said was trust. Trust is the most challenging thing. What are you doing or what advice do you have for leaders? You having gone through this process, what advice do you have for leaders for building trust on big, important projects? So I think the big thing is 
you know, you got to step back and not look at just what it is that you want to do, but also how do you help how do you help appeal to what it is that they need to do, that you understand what's in it for them and and what their obligations are, mm-hmm. what their interests are, and how you make the solution meet their purpose, not your own. And so you have to be able to put yourself into their shoes. And that's how I think you help that shared vision as well. You can create the idea of what you want to leave, but if you can show them how they can get there and how they will be successful, that don't end up with their face, you know, that, that they get confidence in themselves as well, then I think that's really a part of the important piece of this, that it's about we together and how, you know, when you, again, that coalition of the willing, right? Everybody was motivated to find a solution. We just needed to find the right pieces for how each person um, or party was going to still achieve their objectives and their obligations and be able to make that happen. I love that. And that's the, to me, what a great way to start with that mindset because this to me would be so easy to be considered, okay, here's this uh, tech company coming in going to try to tell us what to do. They're dangerous. They're going to make us, you know, we're, we're trying to save lives. We're trying to protect our, our stuff. And you all just want to sling data around, uh, to start with like, okay, I suspect you're starting our conversations with what they care about is their jobs, of course, but they care about security. So you probably start your conversation on security versus speed and ease for the customer even, right? That's right. Absolutely. And how we help them meet their mission and how we can do it in a way that doesn't need access to their systems, you mm-hmm. know, that that we could send them something and all we needed back was a yes, no, right? Oh. Something mm-hmm. really simple. Just give us a yes, no. We don't need to know anything else, you know, and, and that was really the way we helped make that happen because, you know, we found a way to do that that didn't put them, you know, introduce risk to anybody in this process. So in, so in this case, we used um, information that we had. They used information that they had. The airline used information that they had. And we just figured out a way to create a bridge that didn't require anybody to share information and create vulnerability or risk. Well, and that's what's made this so great, great sage wisdom and advice for all leaders, because you're trying to build it with your rapport and trust with your team or with external parties. You're going to have to have this in your arsenal. And what a, what a cool example. Now, as a business traveler myself, how far off are we from most of the airports that we travel through having this, this, your face as your boarding pass technology? In the U.S., it's coming fast, right? At least for international flights. Domestic, we're still working on. Um, we're, we're trying to get there with that. Um, a little bit different because you know the there's not the same requirement for identity checks on domestic flights. But because passengers have seen this, they've gotten used to it, there's a big push and a big drive in passenger demand. And so, Mm. you know, when you start to look at things like the mobile phone and the shift to digital um, apps, digital natives, 
right? Talking yes. about some of these mega trends and what's coming next in the future is we've got this rising population of digital um, natives, right? My kids, your kids that are walking around with a phone in their hand from the time they're like two years old, they know how to work this thing, right? And so, you know, how do we tap into that to give them the tools that help um, further create this frictionless process? And so that's part of what we're looking at now as well is how do we bridge that into domestic travel and beyond just the government mission, but also, again, extending that seamless experience throughout the journey. Well, I love just the simple idea of, so I have the apps on my phone for the airlines usually, and I scan it, but it sure is nice to have, I could have my phone tucked away and have my luggage faces your boarding pass. You go in and you're just, the best part about it, to be honest, is I'm pretty fast about scanning mine, but the 40 people in front of me <laughs> are like fumbling around. I can't find my phone. I can't, I can't find my boarding pass, my piece of paper. I, I see it in, in efficiency and on time, all, all this piece, all this fits together in such a positive way. On the flip side, you probably hear from some naysayers that are saying, you know what, my face is my own and I don't want my facial recognition to be um, used in this way, controlled by third parties, using by the airlines, all these things. Uh, what, what do you say for travelers that, that have those concerns yeah i mean you can stand in line i suppose right and and follow the traditional process that's always an option um but for those that do seek the convenience and the expediency mm -hmm. you know everything that we're trying to do is based on systems and processes that are already in place for those document checks or for those identity checks. We're not trying to instigate anything new or to create a new, you know, modern database. We're just trying to leverage what's already there, but do it in a smarter, more efficient way that brings convenience to the traveler. And, you know, as different agencies are able to leverage a digital strategy and are driving that kind of technology modernization shift and that shift toward digitization and cloud and whatnot, you know, it becomes more possible because people mm -hmm. are more open to collaborate. But there's certainly always going to be people that want the, you know, the manual process. But the idea that you can never go through an airport and get on a plane without proving you are who you say you are. You're kind of kidding yourself, right? Because you always have to show ID at the checkpoint or to drop a bag. Great and, point. It's um, being captured. It is change. being captured in a lot of different ways already. Want to boost your productivity and decision making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. So I'm curious from a technology standpoint too, what's the difference between fake, facial recognition and then you have the the optical scanners that that I think it's like an like is that a different technology or is that a related technology? Yeah, they're they're different um modalities they're called. So you can do like fingerprint or you can do iris okay. or you can do face. And um, you know, when people now are doing, you know, sweat, body odor. 
gate, you know, looking at all kinds of ways to, yeah, try to um, determine, you know, identity. But for us, we've anchored on facial recognition because the technology has become so advanced and reliable, and it's the fundamental foundation of your driver's license, Mm -hmm, your passport, mm -hmm. a visa. It's also easy. You don't need um, to stop and enroll somewhere. It's like, hold up your document hold up, you know, take a photo, compare the two. It's what a human does today, right? When a TSA officer looks at your ID and looks at your face, they make a judgment call. That's effectively facial recognition, but just, you know, only with a whatever, 60% reliability. We're doing it now with like a 60% reliability? That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. You know, human eye, right? And uh, they they tend to see, a human eye tends to see more favorably a match than the technology does. The match or the technology is far more reliable because it used mathematics, right? Algorithms, complex algorithms that look at spatial characteristics, you know, distance between your eyes, your nose, your chin, and uses those calculations to mathematically determine that, you know, the photos match. Whereas how, the how reliable is facial is recognition? How, mm-hmm. how reliable yeah, 99. is it? 99.5. 99.5. Yeah, great. I mean, mm-hmm. So we're looking at in the 60s for, for the human someone eye. checking the ID versus, wow, that's a huge mm-hmm. difference. Yeah. yeah. Most people, the probably the most dangerous part of it is people think they're way better than 60%. Yeah, absolutely. Right. <laughs> like I'm 90%. No, you're not. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I wouldn't say that they go to the lab to try to test this all the time, but they go to the lab to try to test this all the time, right? How to beat the algorithm. and. Kind so, of like the guys trying to beat the chess player, right? Or the chess. Oh player. yeah, right. So, <laughs> thinking about it from a business traveler standpoint, so that's a great. I think it gave us a great analogy of, hey, I've got a drink, I've got, I'm eating something, and now I've got a third thing to worry about. So this is going to simplify that that process, and it's going to build a business efficiencies. What other technologies or changes, based on the stuff that's coming? what improvements or maybe even I'll say opportunities are, are emerging uh, due, due to the way that things are going right now. Yeah. We're doing a lot of um, investigations now also around things like um, AI, right. And um, machine learning and what can we do to bring more um, efficiencies there to help with things like aircraft turnaround, Right. Mm. Looking, which is, you know, when you get to the gate and you're waiting for the caterer to come and the people to come and offload or unload bags or determining how many passengers have connecting flights. And, you know, are they going to miss their connection because the flight was late or you put it at gate, you know, whatever F. Um, you know, way at the F23 and the person has to get to A9 and, oh, by the way, they're in a wheelchair and they have, you know, three kids and, you know, a ton of bags, like things like that, that once you understand more about all of that data around the people on the plane or the activities Mm -hmm. happening around the plane and what's required to service that aircraft, then you can make more intelligent decisions. Maybe instead you plane at a different terminal 
or you park the plane at a different gate because it makes those connections easier. Um, or you use things like predictive analysis to do what if um, scenario planning. What if a storm hits? How is that going to affect us? Uh, you know, are we going to have a cascading <laughs> yeah. impact? Um, it's not what if, it's people? when it when. It happens, yeah, the storms. You know, unfortunately, yeah. Or, you know, determining what staffing you need at the front of the house for, you know, bag drop. And if there's a big traffic jam, now suddenly you get that information ahead of time and you can determine how to reallocate your staff or if you need to take a flight delay. You know, those things mm. that all become more possible now as we're able to harness that data, right? And bring those pieces together wow. to help improve operations. I, I love yeah. that. And it's so encouraging that this stuff exists because people yeah. are probably listening to this maybe on the airplane right now, or maybe they're delayed in the airport. And, you know, fortunately can rest easy because Sherry's on it with her team. They're figuring this out with the data. And I believe, I, I love the combination of machine learning and, and AI with this space, you have all these different inputs. So like you mentioned the caterers, sort of the front of the house, so to speak, at the you know, uh, uh, security lines, which can be a nightmare when you have canceled flights and you've got three people, you know, all the three different planes of people trying to get through security at one time. Uh, and I'm in CETA sort of standing in the middle of all this, right? Trying to help it all advance. What an exciting time. When's a time that you, that you think might surprise people of when data came in handy or uh, a moment when it just really worked out well and wouldn't have if uh, if the technology wouldn't have been available? If it hadn't been there, yeah. You know, there's a lot now that's happening in, uh, what do you want to call it, little pockets of brilliance, right? It's not as widespread as we'd like it to be, but certainly where we have um, um, airport partners that we're working with and airline partners that we're working with to trial and test new things, then it's becoming more prevalent, at least in affecting their operations. But on an industry scale and on a global scale, well, we're still working on that one. What's your favorite pocket of brilliance? Uh, I think one of the great ones right now outside of the United States is in Doha, Airport, Hamad International. We did a lot of work with them in preparation for the World Cup um, wow. that was just there. So trying to help with facilitating arrivals into the country um, using a digital identity solution there. So it made the border a little more frictionless or seamless for those arrivals, um, helped with event management, right? So they knew that people had met the criteria for entry into the country and they have the right certificates mm. and whatnot. And then certainly also a bit with digital twin around facilities management. So looking at that operational data and having a visualization tool so they can make sure that everything was operating as efficiently and effectively as possible. I love you brought, you brought that example up. I read a lot about that and it was incredible because most of the people I believe attending the events were in other countries being shuttled in on aircraft, almost like a, a sort of like, like a commuter train. Am, am I yeah, right? That almost that's like air taxi, right? Air taxis. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm trying to imagine providing safety security 
and they need to be on time because they're trying to get there for a specific game time. It wasn't like people were just kind of coming in and meandering around there. They need to be all coming probably at one time you yeah. know, for a series of games. For what, their what, what was that exactly. crazy atmosphere like? Well, and it's coming here soon, right? 2028 for the yeah. America's market. Three, in three countries. For the Olympics. So, yep. It's U.S., Canada, so, and Mexico. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So wow. we're hoping we can uh, have the same impact here, but uh, yeah, we shall see. <laughs> <laughs> to be determined, but I'm sure, I'm sure yeah. what could go wrong. <laughs> so let's, <laughs> that's right. Let's, so 30 let's, different I, venues, I think. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, it's going to be amazing. And we'll have to have you back. Well, before that, probably we'll have to have you back. Uh, yeah. But I, I want to make sure we have some time to talk about your career because frankly, it's very interesting to me. Um, because what I su- I suspect that when you were growing up, this field did not exist that you're in now. Um, yeah. Well, so what's the advice you would give your younger self who, who's imagining probably big things for yourself as a child? I don't know what, what was it like for you growing up and what's the advice you would give that person today based on what you, yeah. So I'll try to make this a short uh, path here, but I grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania, about an hour north of Scranton. And the only way anybody knows about Scranton now, of course, is the office, right? So, you know, middle of nowhere. And uh, at the time, you know, I thought my options were, okay, I'm going to be an ambassador to the UN or I'm going to be a Janet Jackson backup dancer. (laughs) Those were my (laughs) Oh, so <laughs> two great career options. Wonderful. That's right. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, you know, fast forward, I go to a travel um technology school in Pittsburgh, which was really focused on how to issue airline tickets. They did, you know, basic DOS programming, but it was, you know, I mean, computers were not what they are today. Um, I work, leave there, work for Amtrak for a few years, end up in Atlanta, um, 1995, I think this is, Hmm. and I apply to an ad in the newspaper looking for travel experience and technology experience working with computers. At the time, my husband was working for um, a technology company, AOL. And I was like, well, that's close enough, right? I I know about computers. And if I don't, I can ask him. So I apply for this ad. And then like the rest is history. I end up in travel technology and get, you know, I mean, the adrenaline rush, I guess, you know, of of working in this industry and have been there ever Mm -hmm. since. I um I then went to work for a, a a company that worked on some of the first internet-based uh systems doing um the booking engines so that you could book airline tickets online, right? Who would have thought wow. in the early wow. days of of internet? And so so my career kind of grew um from there. I spent 15 years working for them, decided to get my MBA from Georgia State University. And I did the executive MBA program there. Mm-hmm. And it really inspired me to look at, okay, from that now, how do I look at the industry differently to help solve some of these big, ugly billion dollar challenges, right? And and to kind of help 
support more on the research and development side. And, and that was how I got into CETA. Um, I went to work for CETA Lab, which is their research and development arm for the uh, industry. Because hmm. um, what you might not know about CETA is we are owned by the aviation industry. Airports oh. and airlines are the boarding council. So there are about 450 members and they kind of set the strategic direction for CETA. And so that was when I went to work um, for CETA it was in 2015. I finished my MBA and started working on, you know, some of these things like how to solve flight disruptions. What are the technologies that would need to come to play? Um, you know, can blockchain, um, IoT, mm. machine learning, you know, um, uh, biometrics and, and looking at all of those things and how we tap into these new and emerging technologies and bring them into our industry to help solve some of these key challenges. And so I think it was about, the for me, my career path and how I kind of got here on this long and windy road was, you know, the importance of risk taking, being willing to say yes and go out of your comfort zone massively important, right? Because, you know, if you don't take risks, you don't grow. And certainly you want to do it in a educated way, right? You don't want to put your finger in the 220 volt light socket, obviously, but, you know, you need to feel comfortable putting yourself out there. Um, and then I think also the importance of we, not me, mm. right? It's how everything is about team and you can't get there alone. You can't lead from the front. You have to be able to lead from behind and bring people with you. And it's about how you create that shared vision, help everybody feel part of the team, help everyone feel their contributions matter and how you do this stuff together. That's hugely important. Collaboration is is critical in, in that. So... So interesting. So before we get to your team philosophy, which I thought I think I want to I want to dig into that. Your career, I think, is such a helpful lens for people right now to think about their career because the rate of change in technology is speeding up so quickly. You know, we have listeners too that are that are coming out of college, you know, that or they're working on their MBAs right now, or maybe a few years out. If you live your life in the mindset of what I'm doing right now or the job I may have 10 years from now doesn't even exist today, you're going to behave differently. You're going to take, you're going to consider risk taking. You're going to consider the moves you make entirely differently than if you think that in 10 years, you're going to be doing a slightly more advanced job of the job of what you're currently doing. I mean, yeah. it, you were dealing with DOS and now you're dealing with machine learning and facial recognition airports and blockchain. I mean, those. And so, yeah, first you said, say yes. So the importance of saying yes, meaning that even when you feel like, uh, maybe you're under, under equipped for a role or it feels risky to take on a role or a project, be willing to do that or, or how, how did that show up for you? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, you hear about it called um, imposter syndrome, right. And, and, yeah. or the fake it till you make it right. Is, you know, you've got to be willing to put yourself out there and know that there, everybody on the other side wants you to succeed. Mm -hmm. And you always have to think about things with an eye toward positive intent 
and, you know, looking toward the positive and how you make yourself successful, how you make the others around you successful. Like, mm-hmm. I guess part of my mantra is always, I know my number one job is to make my boss look good. So what do I do to make that happen? Right. And, and you know, if like you apply on that or anchor on that as your kind of objective and being willing to say yes and take chances and do what you need to do in order to help achieve that goal. It gives you something kind of simple to focus on in the near term, right? And and as long as you're always focusing on that, I don't think you can go wrong. And then when you look back, you're like, wow, how did I do all that? Right. And it's because you just looked forward and you made it happen instead of always worrying about the behind or the past or whatever. Right. You just focus on trudging forward. Sage advice to keep moving forward uh, and, and and to be willing to say yes and take these arrests, because if you're not, these opportunities will go to someone else that are. Sure. And that could be your competition for your job or your career, but but for your company, too. And I mean, CETA doesn't sound like a company. And when I, when I, I would really enjoy doing my research on it because it should, you, you're into so many different things and you're pursuing so many different paths and you're making such a huge impact uh, around the globe. I mean, 95% of airports. I mean, come on, y'all. Now you talk about the importance of we and creating a shared vision. Uh, what's your advice for leaders who say, you know what? Um, a shared vision will be great, but my boss and my company they don't, I don't even know what it is. <laughs> what are the, where would you say start in those moments? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to always come from the top. You can take responsibility for creating that shared vision within the people that you influence as well. Right. And, and it's how you help create that shared purpose for why we're doing what we're doing. Why are we here? What's the goal we're trying to achieve? And that Mm -hmm. we together and how you unify those efforts to make sure that you achieve that outcome. And again, it can be little things, right? What do I need to do, you know, this week? What What do we need to do in the next six weeks, you know, to make this customer happy, to meet this objective, yep. you know, whatever it might be to solve this problem, to do this new thing. It like It's not like we necessarily went out and said, okay, we've got some blockchain. What are we going to do with that? Right. It's <laughs> It was more about. I've like, got some blockchain. Okay, what, what do I do with it? Exactly. Exactly. Um, It's how do we use that to solve a problem or a Mm -hmm. challenge? And does it does it apply? How do we make it work for us? Right. And 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 I think that was um, that was kind of the way that we tried to tackle it is, again, that shared vision of how do we figure out what's in it for everybody that's involved that's involved in, you know, solving this problem and how do we bring them together um, to create this shared purpose toward a, a shared outcome. So good, Sherry. Thank you for that. Uh, I'm starting to wrap this up now. What's your parting thought for our listeners today? I mean, I think the big thing is, you know, again, about taking risks and taking chances, right? Like, my, I guess one of my big things is, you know, I had to go there to get here. No regrets, right? Okay, yeah, you might mess up sometimes, you might make mistakes, but that's all part of the learning as well. You know, the same, like I said, you don't want to stick your finger in the 220 volt circuit, you want to be smart about these things, but 
you know, you've got to be prepared to take a risk and think, okay, what's the worst that could happen, right? Well, and I know, you know you're a fan of growth mindsets, right? Mm-hmm. Carol Dweck and totally. growth mindset. And that, that what you just said, really, like that's a key tenet of that, as I understand it. It's, you know, there are all mistake. you know, we make mistakes and those are gateways to learning. And I think too yeah. many organizations and leaders even accidentally send that message to their employees. Like if you mess up, you better hide that thing or you better not let anybody know. <laughs> but if you do yeah. that, it prevents growth for them, for the boss, the team and the company. And so being willing to share it and solve it uh, is, is, is such an essential ingredient for success. Yeah. And the danger, right? You know, like you say, if if your first instinct, when somebody tells you there's a problem, well, who told you to do that? Who said, you know, who, right? Automatically wrong mindset, right? Because that's going to make people fearful. Yes, and, yes. and so, you know, if it's okay, how do we fix this? What do we need to do to solve this? Then, you know, in using the we's and the, you know, getting behind the person to help figure out the way out. There's plenty of time for root cause analysis later and figure out how we stop it from happening again. But, you know, how do we how do we help people feel safe and empowered to drive change and to drive transformation and be a part of that? I think that's really important. I love it. Great advice for leaders. And for all of us in life, I was thinking, as you were saying that, I'm like, man, that sounds like it'd be helpful in parenthood also, (laughs) how you're talking to your kids, right? And it's really hard in parenthood. I am not going to lie. You think it's hard as a leader, but with kids. You were such a big fat liar. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right, right, right. It's it's, it's (laughs) dealing with all that so fun. Well, Sherry, thank you for coming on Lead the Team and, and sharing some great ideas with us today. Yeah. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.